The True Ambition Podcast with John Zink is brought to you by IT Avalon. IT Avalon, IT staffing and professional services done right. Visit our sponsor at itavalon.com. Now, welcome to True Ambition. Hey everybody, welcome to the True Ambition Podcast. My name is John Zink, and I'm honored today to be joined by Mr. Kevin Armato. He is the Director of Damage Prevention and Compliance with PG&E. Um, and he's my neighbor. <laughs> yep. So uh, thanks for doing this. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. So he's got a bachelor's degree from Cal Poly in uh, mechanical engineering. And where did you go to, uh, which Cal Poly was it? So I uh, went to San Luis Obispo, um, but I've got actually got an older daughter um, who was going to Pomona. So uh, I have love for both Cal Polys now. Keeping it in the family. Yep. So speaking of family, uh, married to Nicole, and uh, the kids are Kylie, who's in college, Gracie, Ellie, and Chase. And uh, being a neighbor, you got the best freaking kids ever. Thank you. Um, so who's the disciplinarian? <laughs> <laughs> I already know the answer to this. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that question was coming. Um, I try. Uh, they, they listen to Nicole a little bit better than me. Um, I think everybody does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very true statement. <laughs> now, as everybody can hear, my friend Kevin has the most infectious laugh. <laughs> Ever and it's the best. <laughs> Thank you. So we'll we'll get together with uh, neighbors and uh, sit around and we just have the best time. And uh, it's been an honor um, and a privilege being your neighbor. Thank so, you, uh, too. So you're Bay Area born and raised in Santa Rosa, correct? Wine country. Yes. Let me ask you questions. Okay. A serious one. All right. Red or white. <laughs> I'm a red guy. <laughs> All right. So is my wife, as yeah. you know. <laughs> yep. She likes the heavy Cabernets. What, what do you drink? I like cabs. Yeah, that's normally what I would go to. But, you know, I'm not a big wine guy for, you know, being Italian and growing up in wine country, you'd think it, I'd drink more wine, but I, I don't. It's too expensive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, as you know, I don't drink anymore. Right. But it's like I always watch everybody drinking these in our neighborhood. I watch everybody drinking these like $100 bottles of wine. I'm like, you can get a bottle of Jägermeister for like 16 bucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same effect at the end. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Very true. So growing up there, what was your childhood like? Um, it was actually a great place to grow up. The town's obviously grown a lot since I grew up and, and changed quite a bit. Um, but so it, how big was it back in your day? I think when I was growing up, it was probably around 60, 70,000 people. It's pretty small. And I I think it's over 200,000 now, pretty Holy close to 200,000. It's, it's grown quite a bit. So, okay. you know, growing up for me, it was, you know, go play outside. You know, you didn't have to have your mom and dad watching you. You know, we just play outside all summer long, um, you know, come home when it when it's dark. Um, great sports, you know. As soon had, as the streetlights come on, yeah. you better have your ass home. Exactly, exactly. And that was just for dinner. Then a lot of times after dark, we'd go out and play, you know, hide and go seek in the dark or whatever else. So, yeah. Um, so it was a, it was a great place to grow up, great neighborhood. Um, and like I said, we had some good sports, you know, you had your soccers, your basketballs, your baseballs. So, you know, playing sports and, and good schools. So it was, a, it was a great town to grow up in. So you got siblings? I do. I have one younger sister. She's three years younger than me. And, uh, she actually still lives in Santa Rosa. Okay. And she's a teacher there. Awesome. 
well, what uh, you'd mentioned sports. What what sports did you play? Um, the biggest sport, like growing up through high school, was uh, basketball. I kind of played everything when I was younger, but actually played um, basketball in high school. Uh, and then actually, what I was really into in high school was jet ski racing. So oh, I used cool. to jet ski race and uh, just the the Northern California tour, and then state championships and stuff. So that was a lot of fun. Did you ever flip them? Uh, I tried a lot of times um, and uh, was pretty unsuccessful, but uh, we did ride out in the ocean a lot. Uh, most of that's all banned now because we live in California. But um, <laughs> back when I was in high school, we would ride, um, you know, off the coast uh, under the Golden Gate Bridge um, in Dillon Beach, uh, a bunch of places like that that are that are now banned. And so you can't ride out there anymore on a jet ski. No, uh-uh. the counties and um, banned uh like two strokes. I don't know. It's, it's been a long time since, um, you know, they've been banned. So I don't know exactly what the ban reads, but, um, they, when I was in college, they started banning them. Um, Are they trying to protect a fish? That's what they claim. I don't really know. Um, <laughs> the bullhead protect the bullhead. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I mean, we're not doing any damage, you know, it's a jet ski in the midst of a huge ocean, you right, know? Right. Um, and there was only a handful of us that actually, you know, really rode in most of these places. So I can guarantee those humongous ships that are out there don't hurt anything. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun uh, riding in the ocean. That was a blast when those waves are coming in and oh, I you bet. Know, you're 20 feet in the air. It's a, it's a rush. I would never do it. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds scary as hell. <laughs> we had some injuries and some, uh, you know, bashed up skis, but uh, it was worth it. So what brought, what brought you to Brentwood, California? Uh, so actually, we moved out here a few years ago. I think, I think we're going on year three. Um, so a couple reasons. Uh, we were living in Petaluma. That's where Nicole and I first settled down after uh, we got married. Um, great town uh, to raise kids in. Um, but... PG&E moved their headquarters. I used to be out of Walnut Creek and moved their headquarters to San Ramon. Um, and so I have jobs. I travel a lot all over, but, you know, you end up at headquarters quite often. And so uh, that commute home from San Ramon to Petaluma could take two hours. Um, and it was, you know, really crushing a lot of family time. Uh, in addition, you know, we started kind of looking around and saw the houses that, you know, in the neighborhood we live in and, you know, what we back up to. Uh, and everything else. And, uh, you know, they don't build houses like uh, what we have out here uh, oh, yeah. over in Petaluma. So uh, we fell in love with the house. We fell in love with the area. Um, I had a lot of employees that worked for me and people at PG&E that lived in Brentwood and everyone raved about it. Um, schools are great. Um, sports are great. And, uh, you know, we've we've loved living here. Well, we haven't looked back. Yeah, it's a cool area. And uh, we, we all, uh, our neighborhood uh, backs up to like an open field and right now the cows are out there and stuff yeah you know a couple coyotes some of them been shot some of them haven't <laughs> can't confirm or deny <laughs> complete complete deniability but some of them i've heard a couple of them talking <laughs> they've been shot <laughs> so now um now you're a super positive person mm -hmm. how do you stay so positive well, it's actually an interesting question. I never really thought of. Um, it's it's a choice, right? I can well, I just I ask it because a lot of people who are watching this, you know, uh, there's an onslaught of news. There's mm -hmm. an onslaught of social media. There's an onslaught of everything coming down. Like the world's ending. Mm -hmm. Everything's horrible. It's actually not. Right. You know, I'm a pretty positive person myself. Yeah. So what I like to do is talk to people like yourself and go, okay. How do you stay so positive? Because maybe some other people can take some lessons from you. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, go out and you know, make some of those changes in their life. Okay. Um, well, first off, you know, it'd be uh, disingenuous of it to admit there are times I'm not positive, right? There are times, like you mentioned, where I do get caught up in uh, the news or some bad stuff that maybe happened at work or, you know, I, I don't know, a number of things that, that do drag a person down and it's, right. it's normal, right? So it's more about how do you get past that and, and how do you, you know, stay positive afterwards? So, you know, majority of the time I'm positive, but there's still sometimes I'm not. Um, so, I, you know, a few things. Um, exercise, I think, is a big thing. You know, if I don't, you know, get a workout in, um, I've just, you know, if I don't feel good, it's hard for me to, you know, stay positive. So right. um, getting some any kind of exercise, I mean, even just hiking in the hills behind us or going for a walk, you know, especially right now with a lot of gym closures, it's been tough. But I think exercise is a, something that clears my mind. Um, and then really just looking at the positive side, if, if, you know, I like being positive. So, and when I look at something, you know, even people bring me problems at work, it's like, I'm glad you brought that to me because now we can fix it. Right. Having that type of outlook, um, is something I enjoy doing and I don't want to be negative if I'm, you know, so negative all the time, I'll just, you know, have a miserable life. So I just try and look at everything from a positive perspective and, and just have that mindset. Um, you know, and even, you know, assuming positive intent, intent, uh, someone, someone told me a long time ago, um, and I really try and live by that. So, you know, people don't come to work being like, you know what, I'm going to screw up today. This is going to be a blast. I'm yeah. going to get in trouble. You know, <laughs> something bad's going to happen. This is going to be great. You know, right. uh, th sure. There's a couple bad apples here and there, you know, times people go through, but most of the time, you know, people are there trying to do their best. So as assuming positive intent is something I really try and live by as well, uh, from a work perspective. Well, that's great. Cause, uh, there, there's many people and we know some of them who are in a bad mood all the time and the world is horrible. The sky is falling. Yeah. It's not bad at all. No. You know, and if you just keep a positive um, outlook and you keep the positive around you, uh, that's, that's why I like to have you as a friend. You know, I, I try to keep as many people like you in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, one of our, one of our um, neighbors is Gary. Yeah. Gary's a stand-up comedian. Yeah. You know, he, he's always on the positive side. Even when he's talking about something negative. Yeah. You know, it's just fun. It you is. Know? So if anybody can take uh, from what uh, you just said, it's just like stay positive all the time, mm -hmm. you know, because as soon as you start digging into the negatives, you can go down that wormhole quickly exactly. and never come back out. Yep. So uh, another question is, and I kind of know the answer to this already, uh, are you a regimented person? <sighs> you know, I used to be um, a little bit more regimented, um, but, you know, since working from home and being so flexible, a lot of my routines kind of, you know, got uplifted, I guess you could say. Um, I'm not super regimented, though. I mean, a lot of the reasons why I came to PG&E is because I knew I didn't want to do the same thing every day for the rest of my life. I didn't want to wake up, get a coffee at this place, go to this office, sit in this chair from, you know, seven to five. You know, I, I, that's not what I like to do. Um, so you know, I, I like to move around, do different things on a daily basis. But like I mentioned, I always try and, you know, get, uh, you know, coffee in the morning. That's, that's important. Uh, try Good and get, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. uh, that's what I'm worried All right, about. So we got, we got to tell a backstory. Here. Got <laughs> so, um, but this is, uh, our, our neighbor, Gary, uh, there was a surprise party for Gary and, uh, we were on our way back to Gary's house with Gary in the car 
Kevin's in the car with me, and we're calling Gary's wife to tell her that we're on the way. And she answered the phone, and I go, Cuckoo! Cuckoo! <laughs> As if to tell her that we're on the way. All I had to do was say we're on the way, but I decided to say Cuckoo! <laughs> so about three days later, Kevin's in the grocery store with his kids in the checkout line, and I'm walking by with Johnny, and as loud as I can, I go, Cuckoo! Cuckoo! <laughs> And that was the laugh I heard. So now every time that uh, Kevin and Nicole are on their way to Starbucks in the morning to get coffee, he sneaks up on me as much as he can and out the window yells, <laughs> and it's the best part of my day. Yeah. And when I could call back to him, I scare the shit out of Johnny. Yeah. Sometimes literally. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, it's the best. Yeah. So, um, so you already talked about it a little bit with working out, but what are some of your routines that you do every day? Um, definitely, I get coffee every day. So, so being home, I try and find time every day to go to uh, coffee with Nicole at some point. It might be at five in the morning because I got a bunch of stuff going on, or it might be at you know eight if I've got a break after a couple meetings in the morning. So I try and always go to coffee with her. It's just a, a time for her and I to have 20 minutes to ourselves without the kids, especially since we're all in the same house right now. Uh, to just chat and, and connect uh, without the, the craziness of everything else going on. So that's been kind of a new routine I've started uh, during COVID. Um, like I mentioned, try and exercise as much as I can every day. Um, some days I'm better about it than others, I'll be honest. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I think that's the main thing. Oh, and then ha uh, having dinner with the kids. Um, so I mentioned earlier, I, I travel a lot for PG&E, obviously not as much right now. Um, but when I can, I, I still try and get home by dinner. So, um, you know, a lot of people will stay the night if they're going somewhere far. You know, for me, I'll, I'll get up at three in the morning to get down to Fresno uh, by 630. Um, you know, work a work a full day there, get out of there by three. So I'm home by six or 630 for dinner. So um, I try and make it a habit of, you know, connecting with my kids at the end of the day at some point, um, you know, normally over dinner to see how their day was. So those are some of the main ones that I try and live by. And then you know, being a, a leader of PG e your your day can go sideways pretty quickly sometimes, depends on what happens or what comes up. Um, so during the day, it's uh, it's hit or miss on, on how well I stick to a schedule. So when you guys sit down for dinner, do you guys do that thing where it's like, okay, all devices are gone? Yep. Yep. No devices for sure. Um, yeah. And we have a couple of go-tos. We've, we've tried, you know, tell us your highs today and your lows today. Um, you know, what'd you do at school? Um, you know, how was sports, you know, things like that. So we, we all, you know, chime in, have a, a pretty good conversation over dinner. Perfect. Which of your personality traits would you like to change? Wow. Uh, I didn't expect that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, huh. I'm glad you didn't ask Nicole this question. <laughs> Can I get my phone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let me see. Um, uh, I think one of the things that I'm trying to change and, and it sneaks up on me here and there is um, uh, being here now. Right. So, uh, you know, I try and spend a lot of time with my kids, one on one time with my kids when I can, things like that. Um, and then, you know, when I'm at work, I'm at work. So um, trying to separate, uh, especially right now. I've been able to not think about um, work, right? It's it's six thirty. I'm making dinner with one of my kids or something. Stop thinking about what happened that day or what you need to do tomorrow. Um, so being able to you know shut off a little bit better the work stuff to focus on the kids. Like 
they can tell when I'm not there, right, mentally. So yeah, I'm there physically, but they can tell my mind somewhere else. So um, it's it's a conscientious thing that I'm working on changing, but I'm, I'm not to where I need to be yet. That's well, something I need to do too. It's I, I find myself, I'll be out walking with Johnny, mm-hmm. I'll be sitting next to him, and I'll be on my phone. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, emails coming in, and it's like it, we're so hardwired yeah. to be working all the time. You know, yep. and it's like like it's uber important. Everything that comes in, it's like, oh my god, I got to answer this right away. Yeah, it'll be there in three hours. Yep, it'll be there tomorrow morning. Exactly, and nothing changes. Yep, you know, so it's like I, I really need to take that same kind of thing that you're talking about, and it's like I really want to implement some of these things that I'm getting from these podcasts from people like you, just to you know change things to be a better person mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and, and for your team too, right? I do the same thing with my team. Like if I get a, a text from them at, you know, five o'clock, hey, you got a minute. Can it wait till tomorrow? You know, like, you know, do, do we have to take time away from our families? I know you're with your family. I'm with mine now. Is it that important? So trying to set that as a leader too, I think is important as well. So we talked about before, you, your kids are so well behaved. <laughs> how, how do you guys do that? How, how do you and Nicole get that? So I, I pulled up on the golf cart with my father-in-law I don't know, a year ago or something like that. And when we left, he goes, my God, those kids are great. So how do you do that? Because that's what I'm looking to do with Johnny is, mm-hmm. you know, turn him into a good human being. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he's not. Uh, they all uh, aren't. <laughs> he, he's got this high-pitched scream right now. I'm like, wow, you're going to be a soprano. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, how do you get him to do that? So can you give us a little parenting tips? Yeah, again, you should be asking Nicole this question, but (laughs) she's a great mom. But, um, you know, a lot of it is just uh, teaching them to interact with kids or teaching them to interact with kids and adults. Right. So, you know, a lot of times as as kids, you know, when we're in the checkout line, hey, ask the checker how their day is. Right. You know, thank them as when we're walking away, say thank you. You know, so uh, teach them to interact with people, even just on normal day-to-day kind of transactions, right? Or, um, you know, conversations that you're having with people. I think that's really important and, and teach them to shake someone's hand and, and look them in the eye. That, that stuff's really important. And, you know, quite frankly, it's been a little rough on Chase, you know, when COVID first hit, you know, he's so used to meeting people, shaking their hand, look them in the eye. And uh, for the first couple months, he was really confused. He's looking at me and he's got his hand half out <laughs> and he's looking around like, dad, I don't know what to do. So I think it, it you know, for me and what I've been focusing on with them is just, you know, really just having conversations with people. Don't be shy. Talk to people. People want to be talked to. And, um, you know, through all of those interactions, I think with various people, I think it really helps when they when they meet someone new for the first time. You know, they can they can carry on a conversation. They can shake their hand and look them in the eye and, and you know, talk to them at least for a few minutes at a time. So I think that's really helped. OK. Yeah. Because it. Every time I pull up, it's just it's a fun interaction with every one of the kids. I mean, Chase is just a dynamo. Yes, he's all over the freaking place. Now, one of the things I'll talk about in the neighborhood is that uh, you are the neighborhood rattlesnake wrangler. (laughs) So if anybody out there is having a problem with a rattlesnake, all you got to do is call Kevin Armado and he'll be like that. Yeah. So I drop everything. (laughs) So I was in the car one day. And Johnny's in the back seat in his car seat, and there's this huge rattlesnake out in the drive or mm-hmm. out in the uh, on the street. And I'm like, well, I don't want to leave Johnny in the car. Um, fact of the matter is, I didn't want to deal with this freaking rattlesnake. So, <laughs> call up 
Kevin, and he's there within five seconds. <laughs> it's crawling into another <laughs> another person's uh, uh, into Tony's yeah. yard. Boom! Took care of it like that. Um, are you scared of rattlesnakes? Oh, I hate them. Yeah, yeah. completely afraid of them. I I hate snakes, even non you know venomous snakes. Are me too. Can't thing. stand them. Yeah, no, I, I hate them. So. I just, uh, you know, I feel it's my neighborhood duty. Like, if I run across a snake out in the wild, I'm not going to kill it. Like, that's your spot. You're here. I'm here. You know, no big deal. Yeah. But our kids live here. Yeah, in our neighborhood. You know, I actually had one in our garage in the first year that uh, we moved in. I, you know, walked out to get something out of the garage. And out of the corner of my eye, I caught this rattlesnake on the ground. And uh, quick, funny story. So, you know, you know, we live in Brentwood. It's hot summer. I was just in, you know, swim trunks. I'm like, oh man, what am I going to do? And so I keep cowboy boots out in the garage. So I pull my cowboy boots on and, you know, cause I didn't know how, how this was going to go with the snakes, pull my cowboy boots on, grab a shovel and, uh, you know, take care of the snake. And unfortunately it kind of made a mess when I was there. And I'm like, well, I think Nicole's upstairs. I got to sneak in the house and grab some cleaning supplies. So I'm sneaking into the house in shorts and just cowboy boots. And she's standing right there. What's going on? <laughs> I didn't want to freak her out and tell her what had happened. Time to uh, get frisky. (laughs) I told her I'm sacrificing everything, even fashion for you. (laughs) I got it all, baby. Check this out. (laughs) So, yeah, they're uh, they're a little problem in our neighborhood from time to time, that's for sure. So you've been at PG&E for how many years? Uh, This will be 19 years this summer. Wow. Yeah. So it must be a great place to work. Absolutely. It's fantastic. What's what's your favorite things about the company? Um, well, for me, I, I think, like I mentioned earlier, I, I knew graduating college, I didn't want to do the same thing all day, every day. Um, but I didn't really want to jump around companies either. Um, and so it's great to be with PG&E. I've had so many different jobs, but still been building my career all at the same time. So, you know, I started out as an, an entry engineer. I went over to a, the gas transmission part of our business and did a lot of work in corrosion and integrity management. Um, then I, you know, went to operations for a number of years and then back into engineering, you now back in operations. So um, that's one of the things that really attracted me about it was, you know, being able to jump around and build a career within a, a company. Uh, in addition, I knew I wanted to live in Northern California. I knew I wanted to go back after college in Northern California. So that was attractive, the, the location. Um, and then the other piece is, you know, I, I didn't want to be an engineer that sat behind a desk, right? So I didn't want to just sit behind a desk doing designs. I knew I wanted to be out in the field, hands-on. And, you know, pg e that that's what requires of our engineers. we got to be out in the field, do various testing and design work. And so, you know, I get to be out in the field as well as in the office. It's just a, a great mix. So uh, those are some of the things that really attracted me. And then, you know, quite frankly, it's um, it's kind of a noble purpose, right, to um, provide energy to Northern California. I mean, so much awesome stuff happens in Northern California. And I know you're not allowed to use the word awesome, but I'll use it. So <laughs> I'm working on it, but that's awesome. <laughs> Just a lot of great things happen out of Northern California for the entire world, right? You look at our Silicon Valley and our Bay Area and everything else, you know, all the ag and everything that comes out of California just to, you know, to be able to provide all of that energy to enable everything that California does is, is a great purpose. That's cool. So what what is your current role? So my current role is I'm director of damage prevention and compliance. So uh, what that means is I'm, I'm on the operations side, back in operations again. Um, a vast majority of my team is, is out in the field. Um, and what my team is really trying to do is to prevent digging. So obviously we have a lot of our, you know, pipes and wires below ground. 
Um, and so we go out when, when someone's going to excavate, um, we're, you know, it's the law. You're supposed to call 811 before you dig um, so that us and folks with other underground infrastructure can get out there and mark, um, mark where our lines are before they dig. Um, so my team, a lot of them do that, that locating and marking. So, you know, those 811 tickets come in, they get out there, they mark it. Um, so that people don't hit it. Um, then we have a number of support folks that that help the overall damage prevention effort with, you know, public awareness, trying to let people know about, you know, calling 811, how to do safe excavation practices, investigate when we get damages. So a uh, big part of my group is all uh, dedicated towards damage prevention. Um, I also have patrol, too, that's kind of dedicated to damage prevention. So they're patrolling our lines, looking for people digging um, that, you know, didn't call 811 first um, so that we can get someone out there and stop them. Um, then I also have a, a couple really cool groups that um, basically are at the start and end of all of our processes within um, the gas side of the business. So I have a, a group that you know does all of our maintenance plans and operates kind of our, our work management system um, to be able to make sure all the right work gets done um, by our field crews. Uh, and then I have a group at the end of that that um, does all the compliance checks and make sure all the, um, the compliance, you know, all the checks to make sure every, all the I's are dotted, T's are crossed, uh, and that our records are, 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 you know, in compliance. So how many people are underneath you right now? Um, PG&E only, it's about 450, uh, 450, um, but then I have a, a number of contractors as well. So it's, it's a little bit over 500, I think, total. Wow, that's a pretty big undertaking. It is. Speaking of everything that's buried underground, I mean, how deep is that stuff? I mean, for laymen that don't understand this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. how deep is all of the different energy um, vehicles that you use to get stuff around? Yeah, so it, it really depends. So, uh, you know, it depends on the situation. Um, normally, at least a couple of feet deep, um, but there are times it is shallower. So that's why it's important to always call 811. Even if you're just, you know, replanting a tree in your front yard, you know, you never know the, the you know, uh, area could have eroded over time. And now your your service line is is less deep than you thought. So um, but normally it's, it's at least a few feet deep to, to try and stay below everything. OK, so. The San Bruno explosion. Mm -hmm. That was crazy. It was. So um, what were you doing at the time uh, within PG&E when that happened? Yeah. So actually at the time I, I was in uh, transmission integrity management before San Bruno happened. And, and San Bruno was a transmission line, right? A large transmission line. Um, actually, when the San Bruno rupture happened, I was in the distribution integrity management side. So it's, you know, the smaller pipes out in the street and the services serving um, people's houses. We have integrity management programs to take care of that as well. Um, but I was immediately sucked back into a lot of the, you know, transmission integrity work um, because, you know, there was a, a need of all hands on deck. To oh, try sure, and, a lot of people were. Right. A lot of people were, were sucked in to try and, um, you know, fix everything that we could, you know, post San Bruno. So what, looking back on that, uh, what actually happened over there? So what happened in, in San Bruno was um, there was a, a section of pipe that was actually, it was a, a bend. So it was a bunch of sections of pipe welded together to, to make a bend in the, in the pipe. Um, and there was uh, one section of pipe, the way, there's lots of different ways pipe is made, but this particular pipe, the way it was made is it's, you know, flat plate rolled into a pipe and then it's you know welded where that plate comes together and this pipe was supposed to be welded on the the outside as well as the inside um, but for some reason it was missing that inside weld and so um, over time uh, that you know ended up rupturing um, because you know of you know just over time the uh, you know 
action on that that uh, pipe with just half a weld on it. So did the rupture actually cause a spark on the inside when that happened, or did something else spark it? Did, did yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, super in tune on, on how that actually ignites, but um, you don't actually need a, a spark or an ignition source. When a pipeline ruptures, it can it can ignite just through the, the force of the actual rupture itself. Oh, I see. Okay. So going through that, um, what did you learn about PG&E during that time? Because it had to be a mm. really tough time for the company. Yes. So I remember just, at, I was living in Santa, Chris and I were living in San Ramon at the time, and I'll never forget it because I was in bed with a flu. And I was like, oh, God. And then all of a sudden, something blew up. I'm like, oh, God. And I was like, I'm dying over here with a flu. Mm -hmm. And I remember, and I called Carissa. I was like, you better look, because her family, a lot of them's from um, San Bruno, um, what's it called? Pacifica, mm -hmm. that area. Yeah. So I remember I just called her. What did you learn about the company during that time as far as the way that they handled everything? Yeah, so, um, it, you know, after San Bruno, um, we got some some new leadership into PG&E um, that really really helped, and, and they just put all hands on deck to you know fix um, to make sure that another San Bruno doesn't happen again. So um, I think what what I learned was you know with with good leadership um, and a laser focus on safety, we can commit <laughs> just commit to and complete a tremendous amount of work. So, you know, the the volume of work we did before San Bruno versus, you know, shortly thereafter and what we do today is just incredible how much more work we do to ensure that the safety of our pipelines through testing, through, you know, corrosion control and, and a number of, of methods that we've done. Um, we've, we've, you know, it's just been amazing how much that company can get done when it needs to. Did you personally uh feel or have or hear any backlash as a pg and &E employee from mm -hmm. people when that all happened yeah definitely i mean it was it was tough to go through personally you know before san bruno you're proud to work at pg and &E. you know it was a place people you know are trying they're dying to get in every time you talk to someone say work at pg and &E, oh my gosh how did you get in i'd love to get in or i'd love for my son to get in there you know it was a, a very proud place to work and and it was tough for a little while post san bruno with that um and then obviously post San Bruno, uh, for me personally, I had to, you know, go sit and be interviewed, at, you know, through a couple of court hearings and trials and uh, NTSB and things like that, asking me questions about my time during the transmission integrity world. So uh, going through that was was difficult as well and had a lot of, I wouldn't say backlash, but just, you know, a lot of questions and a very difficult uh, place to be. You were a kid during the 1989 earthquake right it was so carissa talks about it my wife and uh, she was living over in pacifica and she tells me about it going on and she was living like in a third second or third level of an apartment complex and uh her mom was driving home at the time and she's like mom when her mom pulled in mom there's an earthquake she's like oh you're over dramatic you're going crazy and uh, it turns out like the next door neighbor had an eel that was in a tank and the eel like came out, was sloshing all over the <laughs> yeah. place. So then her mom did find out, yes, there was an earthquake and it was crazy. I remember I was in the Midwest and uh, there was a big baseball game going on or something like that. World Series, yeah. Yeah. And uh, oh yeah, big, big baseball game. Yeah. The World Series. Yeah. So <laughs> what do you remember about it? Yeah. So, so for me, I was, uh, I must have been 10 years old. 
Uh, me and a buddy were playing video games. Um, and so Santa Rosa. Like, this is really yeah. lifelike. <laughs> So Santa Rosa is, you know, definitely like an hour north of San Francisco, but we felt it bad in, in Santa Rosa. So um, I know it was my mom and, you know, my buddy's uh, mom were hanging out in the other room and they came running in and I jumped up and ran into the doorway with them. And he just kept sitting there playing his video game. <laughs> I will not I know, get beat. I know, I know. Like, no, come on, it's an earthquake. You got to get in the doorway. This is perfect timing. <laughs> so that was my story. But actually, Nicole's parents, they have a, a better story. They were actually at the, the Giants game. Uh, oh, really? That, yeah. Um, and so they have a whole story of how they kind of got stranded there. You know, one of them's limo driver took off and everything else. So there's there's some interesting stories from from way back then. Wasn't the sure. Giants and the A's playing in the World Series? Correct. Yeah, it was the the Bay Bridge Series, I think they call it. Uh, so it was a, a pretty historic, you know, World Series to, to begin with, nevertheless, than out in the earthquake. So the reason I ask it is with PG&E, do you guys have like drills and stuff you go through for like huge events like that? Yeah, absolutely. We, we practice all the time about, um, you know, massive emergencies and, and how we respond to them. Um, we do, you know, drills with uh, other agencies, right? Fire agencies and things like that. Um, so we, we are very, you know, we try and prepare as best we can for any situation. Um, and we do that all the time. Okay. Yeah. I figured you did. Um, but, uh, my, my next question is, uh, about your current role, um, what really excites you about the job that you do today? Okay, so the couple things for me that really excite me. So um, I mentioned earlier, you know, I have a big background in integrity management, and I don't know why it excites me, but lowering risk on the system really excites me. Right after going through San Bruno and everything else, I mean, I was excited about you know keeping our pipeline safe before, but that just you know puts a whole another level to it um, going through something like that. So. You know, what really excites me is my team is out there every day um, actively working to protect our pipelines. And, you know, for me to be a part of that, that hardworking team that's just doing so much to keep our pipeline safe, um, both through maintenance and, and everything else is, is just a really cool place for me. And I really get excited about knowing that my team is right there to, to try and protect our pipelines, try and make sure nothing bad happens to them. Um, so that that's one thing. Uh, and then the second thing that really excites me about, um, you know, my current position uh, is my team is just so critical and I get to work with such awesome people. So just, you know, letting them know how important their job is on a day to day basis, like how important every single thing they're doing today is to to me, to the company, to the public that we serve. It, it's really exciting. Well, I see it as uh, just the, the the passion that you've got about it when you're talking about it. I see it almost as an extension of what you do around the neighborhood. You know, it's like as soon as somebody calls you for something, you're there in a heartbeat. And that same smile you got on your face right now is on your face when you come to do it. And I mean, it's putting lights up in the backyard, uh, killing rattlesnakes, um, just helping out with whatever it is. You know, you much like me, you do it in a different way because you're much more mechanically inclined than I am, <laughs> as everybody knows. But one of my favorite things to do is to help people out. Absolutely. And to make people smile. I play in a band to make people smile. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's to, you know, all right, stop what you're doing because I'm about to ruin uh, his favorite song That's is Humpty jam. Dance. <laughs> so it's just to to make people's day a little bit brighter and you're doing it through your job. Mm -hmm. And so is everybody who's working for you. So as an extension of you, you've got all these people that are out there making a difference in the world. Absolutely. And that's it's a great thing.
you know, so to be able to do that on a daily basis, it's the name of the game. Yeah. That's what I do with my business too. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can make somebody's day a little bit better, life's good. Absolutely. So speaking of jobs, when you were growing up, I know you had quite a few different jobs. Mm-hmm. What was one of your favorite jobs growing up? Yeah, I had a lot of great jobs. Um, boy, it's hard to pin down one. I had, uh, I had two I really enjoyed that I'll discuss. So um, one of them worked for a welder. We had a family friend who owned his own welding shop. Uh, and so working for him, number one, he was a, a very charismatic guy, you know, a lot like you, big guy, very funny, you know, laughed a lot, um, teased me a lot. It was, a, it was a great place and learned a lot, right? I really learned a lot about how to fabricate um, metal, weld, things like that. Was it all kinds of different welds? All kinds of different stuff. Yeah, it was just whatever project we need. I remember fixing stairs with him on apartment buildings or you know, adding gutters to something. I mean, it was just any kind of, of welding or, you know, we put in, um, uh, what do they call those? Tetherball poles, like just all kinds of stuff that, that people needed welded. Um, they'd come to, to him and his shop. Um, so that was a really fun place. And then the other one was um, I worked at a jet ski shop. So I mentioned earlier, I raced jet skis. So I actually worked for a local jet ski shop and um, learned a ton about, you know, how to tear down engines, how to rebuild them, uh, how to make them go fast. Um, and uh, that guy was a very impressive guy too. <clears throat> um, learned a lot from him from a work ethic perspective. He was actually a elevator mechanic during the day in San Francisco, then commuted home to Santa Rosa and had his jet ski shop open till, till 10 o'clock at night. So um, I learned a lot about hard work from, from him as well. Hustlers. Yeah, absolutely. So on the other side of it, what's the worst job you ever had? <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Some asshole you worked for. Yeah, well, I think the worst job I ever had, and it wasn't because of the person. I actually worked for my piano teacher, um, and um, he was a great guy. So it wasn't, wasn't about him. It was... Um, you know, I worked for like $2 an hour, um, you know, cleaning, he paid me to clean his house or uh, they'd be sending out mailers for, you know, some upcoming concert they were doing. So I'd sit there and lick envelopes and lick stamps and send out a thousand mailers oh, yeah. um, and then, you know, cleaning his house, cleaning the kitty litter box and dust and stuff like that. So that was probably the worst, but I've been pretty lucky. I've, I've got some great jobs. Like I mentioned, you know, the welding job, the, the jet ski shop, I even, when I was really little, I um, started mowing neighbors' lawns, and and that was a, a great thing because it was my dad's lawnmower and his gas, so it was just pure profit. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I mowed lawns all over Mount Carroll, Illinois. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the great thing about being back in the Midwest is when it snowed, boom, I would rake, rake in the money. I skipped school one time. Because my dad said, yeah, sure, go ahead. Uh-huh. I made like 300 bucks. Oh, you're Back kidding. then, that's like a million dollars to me today, right? Yeah. And I skipped school. My dad sent me in with a note the next day. And the uh, John Kilpatrick, the uh, principal, he's like, listen, you, you can't skip school yeah. <laughs> to shovel snow. I literally said to him, I said, Mr. Kilpatrick, I think I made more money than you yesterday. <laughs> Those are my words. And I walked out of his office. I don't know how much money he made back then, but I'm pretty sure I was right. Yeah. I bet. Oh, it was awesome. So what do you think about uh, the state of politics in the U.S. today? Ooh, I didn't know yeah. you were going to get Fun that. One. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I... 
I have very biased opinions um, on on politics, but um, you know, I think uh, the biggest thing for me is that I I really enjoy both sides, right? So I really enjoy. You know, I have a lot of friends that are completely opposite than me, but we can go sit down, um, have a cigar, have a drink, banter back and forth, and it's a lot of fun, and I really engage with that. Um, so I think the the biggest thing for me is just how negative it is and how, you know, both sides are just going after each other, and there's a double standard on both sides, and now they're censoring people and things like that. It's that's, I think, the, the most um, disturbing uh, piece to me is that, you know, we can't even work together, really, it seems like right now on, on both well, sides of the aisle. I agree. I think that most people have no problem sitting and having a political conversation. Mm -hmm. Politicians, media, all the stuff that are driving these, their agendas are the issue mm -hmm. because I, I can sit with anybody and have a conversation. Yeah. I, I'm right down the middle. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just, I'm a little bit more conservative when it comes to some things, but I'm also liberal when it comes to some things, mm -hmm. you know? And it's just like, I can sit and have a conversation with anybody. I can have empathy for everybody. Right. You know, I can understand what somebody else is talking about, mm -hmm. but when somebody's sitting there trying to cram something down my throat, mm -hmm. like get out of my way. Yeah. You're ridiculous. Well, and, and, different people have different things that are important to them, right? So something that's important to me that's a political issue maybe is of no importance to you, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it's important to understand both sides. I'm like, well, it's really important to me. It's not important to you. Then, you know, we can talk about it a little bit. I can explain my side. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're still friends. Yeah, exactly. Back in the day, were you a good student? Excellent student. I was actually a valedictorian in high school. Jeepers creepers. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we couldn't be any farther apart yeah. on that one. <laughs> I, I had to be the bottom of the class. Too. <laughs> so I was always in the back of the class because yeah. my name is Zinc. Uh huh. So I, I kind of told people I might have had a hearing problem. <laughs> and couldn't hear anything. Yeah. I was way back in the back. Yeah. It probably more of a problem of I didn't apply myself ever. Yeah. You know, until like now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but exactly. How did that get instilled in you? Was it was it tough for you? Was it something you had to study a lot or was it kind of did it kind of come easy to you? Yeah. So it it, it started. It was pretty easy to me up until um, high school. High school is when like the math and the sciences and things like that that I enjoyed. I actually had to study a lot more. I couldn't just walk into a math test and, and ace it anymore. So. Um, it was it was kind of difficult at that point. And then college was a whole nother world. Right. Whereas, I mean, as an engineer at Cal Poly, you spend just thousands of hours studying. So, you know, it was it was good to kind of set up that work ethic and those study habits in high school um, before getting to, to college. I'm glad it was a little tougher um, as I went into high school. But, you know, for me, um, you know, I saw it as a means to an end. Right. If I got good grades. I could go to a school that I wanted to get a career that I wanted. So, you know, I just kind of focused on that. Like, hey, I, you know, if I, if I do really good now, I'll have a great life later. So um, so that that helped. And and definitely, I think, you know, there were some things that came pretty easy to me. Like, you know, there was a lot of classes in high school I have to study for. I could get an A, no problem. Um, but, yeah, that was kind of the reason why. Do you remember any part of your valedictorian speech? I didn't give a valedictorian Come speech. On. Yeah, I looking back, I'm, I kind of kick myself not to be or kick myself that I didn't. Um, I just was not a public speaker, and until actually coming to PG&E and and 
realizing that was a, you know, an issue of mine or shortfall of mine that I wasn't very comfortable with public speaking and doing a lot to, to build on that. Back in high school, I was scared to death to really? do it, so I did not do it. <laughs> so did you have to take any kind of uh, um, public speaking uh, classes or public, what do they call that, Toastmasters or whatever right. it's called? No, I, I never did that. I just, um, you know, put myself in uncomfortable situations and got a lot of reps at it um, and was lucky enough to have some, you know, good bosses that gave me some opportunities, took a chance on me and gave me actionable feedback to develop my, you know, public speaking skills. You know, I think uh, one time um, we had these, uh, well, used to, I and mean, we didn't this last year, but used to have, you know, once a year, big meeting with, you know, all of the leadership team at PG&E gets together. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I had to give a, a speech on that. I was picked to uh, talk about all this exciting new stuff we were doing in, in leak survey and some of the new technologies we were using. Um, and I was scared to death, but I did it anyway. And I remember walking out, um, the, the second day was at the Marriott in Oakland. And if you've been there, actually, we were there together. Yeah, for we're something. there. And uh, it Grant was, Cardone. Yes, exactly. Um, so I walked out on stage beforehand before I got there. I'm an early morning guy. So I get there, kind of get set up, want to see what I'm up against. Um, and it was the whole Marriott was all open. All of those you know dividers were open. It was just this ginormous room of tables and chairs as far as I can see. And I kind of... Panic there for a second. I'm like, oh my God, I can't even see those chairs, how far back they are. It's going to be so many people. And um, so, you know, going through experiences like that are, was what got me to be a better public speaker. So I got to bring up a story here because this is a fun one. Uh -oh. So we went, Kevin and I went with a couple of their friends to see Grant Cardone. And if anybody doesn't know who Grant Cardone is, he's uh, a sales disruptor. He's a person who motivates salespeople to go out and sell more he also does a lot of real estate investment stuff like that and he asked a question he goes how many people out there don't have to ever worry about money again and do you remember what the guy said there's a guy that stood up yeah. and he raised his hand he goes right there and how much did he say he had in the bank Fifty thousand, maybe <laughs> Yeah. Never had to worry about money again. <laughs> it's the funniest thing ever. We're sitting there like, what? Yeah. And Greg goes, sit your ass down. <laughs> that was yep. still one of the funniest. Exactly. And then on the way home, we had to stop off and get a McFlurry. <laughs> we had a McFlurry. <laughs> and then, so in the back seat, you were, you were in the back seat with Peter, right? I think so. Okay. Yeah. So Peter is lactose intolerant. <laughs> So we got a McFlurry, and then I'm like, that wasn't quite enough. So we stopped at another McDonald's, got another McFlurry, and Peter's like, no, I can't have one. And I ordered it for him anyway, and then his poor girlfriend had to sleep with him that night, yeah. being lactose intolerant. It was probably noisy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got two McFlurries in the course of like 20 minutes. That and bad. And we had a huge barbecue meal yeah. earlier Before, that night. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, we splurged. <laughs> Fifty thousand dollars. Sit your ass down. <laughs> yep. So going back to school, um, it can be high school, college, whatever it is, mm -hmm. even grade school. Who's your favorite teacher? Oh boy, I, I had two very influential teachers um, that helped guide me along the way. 
one high school, one college. So I'll, I'll hit them both real okay. fast. So uh, number one, I had a teacher. Uh, his last name was Rocklowitz, but we called him Rock. That the Rock. Back before the Rock. So he was the original <laughs> Rock. Um, and he was a teacher that really helped me realize I wanted to go into engineering. So um, I had him for a drafting class. And what he did was um, he you know, kind of customized the class based on the student and what the student was interested in. So after we kind of got the basics of drafting down, he kind of talked to us about what we're interested in, um, got us to kind of figure out what we wanted to do. And then he, you know, tailored the class to get some experience in engineering or, and, you know, we even built a, a house. We learned how, you know, to actually, you know, frame out houses. And so we did these little models of framing and sheetrock and things like that. So he was very influential to, to get me to go into the engineering field and to, to really be excited and enjoy it. Um, in college, I had a, a professor, uh, last name of Zamet, uh, Ron Zamet or Dr. Zamet. Um, and he really helped me. Uh, he was a physics teacher and I had him for a couple of times of physics. Um, and we got close and um, he really helped me to learn how to problem solve at a um, early on in my college career. Um, just how to think through problems and how to problem solve a lot of, you know, very complex issues and problems that come up in engineering school, right? So physics is uh, kind of a, a base course, right? Some of the physics and math and things like that before you get into the more advanced um, engineering classes. And so he really helped me to get my mind around uh, how to think through a lot of those complex issues later on in my college career. I think it's great when uh, I've got a few different teachers, too, that just... Uh it's amazing as a child or as a young adult how we just bond with these adults. Yep. And uh, it's both it's both ways, mm -hmm. right? Because they have an interest that you show an interest in and then you become their pet project. Mm -hmm. And thank God for those people. They they're the angels that show up in our lives. Yes. That put us where we are today. Definitely. You know, I've got multiple people uh from school, from career from all these different things that if, if it weren't for them showing an interest in me, um, but, and you, you have to step up as a person when you're a kid too, mm -hmm. for them to show that interest in you. Right. You yeah. Know? It's a two way street. What was the biggest event in your life? The whole thing, baby, that led you to where you are today. Um, well, without hesitation, it was <clears throat> marrying Nicole. So uh, getting married to Nicole um, and then the the life that we've built after that um, as, you know, partners in life uh, is absolutely the the biggest event, you know, or series of events, however you look at them, uh, to, to lead me to, to where I am now. Um, she's just been a, an incredible partner, um, very honest on feedback uh, for me to, to help me improve. Or I got the same thing person. at home, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let me tell you about you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> I know. And one of the things I was telling you about uh, before, too, was, um, you know, now being home a lot for uh, for work, Nicole, every once in a while, will sit in on, you know, just be sitting in the office, you know, just kind of being, being next to me and, and listening in on what's going on. And um, I didn't realize before how savvy she was in business. You know, she keeps giving me a lot of, you know, good feedback, strategy, you know, uh, ways to, to deal with people that... I didn't know she had because I never really saw her in, in the business world before, you know, and it was it was funny, though, at first, because uh, she she doesn't care how things work. Right. She doesn't care how the lights turn on or how the stove turns on. Like she doesn't care. I'm like, you don't even know that pipe is round. How are you sitting in here <laughs> giving me feedback on my job? You don't know me. You don't know my work. Right. right. Um, but after I kind of got over that and started really listening to her, she's been pretty savvy from a business perspective as well. So it's been it's been nice having her around for that as well.
I have so much to owe to my wife, you know, and you, you've got to have that core strong person behind you mm-hmm. and sometimes in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it, Chris is the CEO of our company. And, uh, you know, I, I go back to the fact that I probably wouldn't even be sober today if it weren't for my wife because mm-hmm. she was just sick of my shit. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, if I wouldn't have followed that advice, I wouldn't have Johnny. You know, I wouldn't have this company, all these different things. And yeah. it's just like, if you just take the time to look honestly at the fact that this person might be right, mm-hmm. you can make your life a whole bunch better. Yeah. You know, if you just do that. So um, talking about your career now, who is the person or persons in your career who have most inspired you? Well, I've got a, a laundry list of, of really good bosses that I've had at PG&E that were, were really inspiring to me. Um, so, you know, I've had, uh, actually a lot of people that aren't at PG&E anymore. Um, so I had, you know, uh, Alan Eastman, um, Bob Fassett, uh, Steve Redding, um, uh, Ty Turner, um, Actually, a couple people now are uh, higher, way higher than me. Christine Kausert, um, I reported her for a while. She's now my senior VP, uh, interim president right now, Samit Singh. Um, I worked directly for him a long time ago. Um, so I've had some really inspiring bosses. Um, and I think the, you know, the, the biggest thing with, with those people that uh, I really appreciated is that uh, they took the time to give me real good, actionable feedback to help me grow and be better. Um, and that's inspiring to me. I want to, to grow as a person and grow my career and learn more. And so, you know, what those people did for me was, you know, well, first off, they took a chance on me. Uh, you know, a lot of these folks, you know, is it a quick interview or a quick interaction? And they're like, yeah, I, I see something in that guy. I, I'm going to put him on this. So taking a chance, giving me different opportunities. Um, all those people gave me crazy weird opportunities for me to to show I could, you know, grow and, and learn to grow. Um, and then, you know, giving me timely, actionable feedback that I could work with to, to grow. Well, they gave you a chance to grow or fall flat on your face. Right, exactly. So it, it, yeah. it, it, somebody saw something in you. Yeah. And uh, I've had that same experience where it's like all they're really doing is giving you a chance to go one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's all up to us to hopefully go the right way. Yeah. You know, and thank God for them giving us a chance to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so um, I've got kind of a weird one here. Uh-oh. And uh, <laughs> my neighbor gave me this, uh, actually, Christina gave me this box of questions. And I've got this box of questions that I'm asking everybody. So this one is kind of fun. It says, do you possess any of the traits of your zodiac sign? You and I are both Tauruses. Okay. <laughs> so, people born as a Taurus are relentless and pragmatic and know exactly when to play their bullheadedness and when to use patience and tact in accomplishing their objectives. They are the ones to truly appreciate the joy in material things or enterprises such as watching a good movie or reading an enticing book. However, when they are installed in their own convenience, they hate being disturbed in any way or being hurried, especially when this is happening for something they don't consider relevant. Is that you? 
Not a lot of it. <laughs> That's what I thought too. I'm reading this like, this is bullshit. Yeah, I know. I'm strong headed all the time. <laughs> yeah. Don't disturb me. For the, the, the part that I did think that was me was. Don't disturb me or hurry me with something that I don't think is relevant. Yeah, that that's definitely me. Um, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of um, I hate fake deadlines, right? Like, oh, this has to be done tomorrow by noon. Based on what? Like, what, <laughs> right. what happens at 1201? Oh, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> like I've got other things that are more important than what you think. So yeah. that one definitely hits home. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just I, I thought it was fun. I pulled up the Zodiac sign. I actually texted <laughs> Nicole yesterday and said, What's his birthday? <laughs> pulled it up and I saw that we're both Taurus and like, this is bullshit. You should know. We did the golf cart parade for my birthday. I <laughs> you should remember it. <laughs> I'm too important to remember anybody else's birthday yeah. except for mine. <laughs> <laughs> so what is a good book uh, that you love that you think that maybe some other people should know about? Uh, actually, a really good book that I just finished uh, was called uh, Trusting Technology uh, by Graham Binks. Um, and I read it because, you know, for my team, we use IT a lot. Like I don't have IT people working for me, but, um, we're working with our IT counterparts. They've developed an application for us and we work with them all the time. And some other teams work with them in a bunch of different capacities. Um, and so trusting technology was a, a really good book to, for like a non-technical person like me. I don't, know how to code, right? I wish I did. Uh, but I don't know that type of, of business. Um, but to learn, you know, how to be strategic on leveraging IT and leveraging technology. So, you know, taught me, hey, what questions to ask, how to, you know, set something up for success. So even though they don't work for me, I, I've used a lot of techniques that I learned in that book uh, to help, you know, help me, help them, help me in turn uh, to get be more successful in our application and some of the, the projects that we're doing together. And it's Trusting Technology by who? Graham Binks. Okay. Yeah. What's on your bucket list that you haven't done yet? <sighs> I think uh, the biggest thing for me would be... Uh, honey Not to say you're going to die soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you know, John? <laughs> I, I'm older than you, so... What's on your bucket list, young man? Uh, so as you know, I'm a big outdoorsman. Obviously, that's uh, slowed down with uh, kids and a career and everything else. But uh, probably the biggest thing on my bucket list, I guess there's two. From an outdoorsman perspective, um, I really want to hunt Alaska. That's like kind of classic true bucket list, right? And a, a big experience. Um, but another bucket list item that I have is going to Italy with Nicole. So, you know, we're both mainly Italian. Um, and never been to Italy. So that's something that, uh, you know, after we get through kids and all of that, that, uh, we want to uh, do a big getaway to Italy. So I think those are the two, two main ones. Make it happen, bro. I know. Okay. So I know you like the Humpty dance. Yes. But if you could have a front row ticket to any concert, who would it be? <sighs> I know you're a big music guy and I was trying to prepare for various music questions. Um, uh, I'm not as into it as you. I love everything. So I listen to country. I listen to rap. I listen to rock. I mean, just everything. You only I got two front row tickets. It's you and Nicole. Where I are you know. going? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the other problem, too, is I think who I would pick, she wouldn't enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> she would so, sit there like, Bleh. Yeah. It's <laughs> horrible. I know. <laughs> so my all-time favorite band from high school and on is Rage Against the Machine. Oh, yeah. Um, they were just fantastic. And I... 
you know, love really aggressive music when I'm going to work out or, you know, going into a jet ski race or competition or, you know, got a tough day coming on. I love really getting pumped up with aggressive music like that, but uh, they don't really exist anymore. But uh, if I go well, back they were going to come back out, they were going to play a couple of shows. I know before COVID hit. Right. Yeah. And I looked up tickets and it was like Rage Against the Machine ticket was like four or five hundred dollars. I'm like, whoa. Uh, but in their defense, I think all the money was going to a charity. Mm -hmm. But still, come yeah. on. I'm raging against that machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, but I would love to see him. Yeah. I mean, I never had a chance to see him except on, you know, YouTube videos right. and stuff like that. But my God. Yeah. I mean, Zach. Oh, yeah. Amazing. It, it, yeah. So talented. So I, I'd be in heaven and Nicole would leave. <laughs> Right? So we'd leave Chris and Nicole yeah. somewhere, wine bar or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. And we'd be at the concert raging. Yeah. Another bomb track. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. So, well, I appreciate you coming and doing this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you the same question at the end of this that I ask everybody. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the name of this True Ambition came from a, a book from my 12-step program. It says that True Ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the profound desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. So being where you've been, knowing what you know now, what is your true ambition in life, both your personal life and your professional life moving forward? Okay. And go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so professionally, I, I touched on a little bit earlier, but um, you know, I was very motivated younger on in my career to, to move my way up, right? I was very motivated to get different experiences, do different things to, to build out my resume, build out my career, to be able to kind of go anywhere, right? Um, and I, I think I've successfully done that. And, and now I'm to a point where um, I, I really get inspired to make sure that everyone that works for me and, and everyone that I, that I work with at PG&E just knows how important their work is on a, on a daily basis and, um, you know, how much I appreciate everything that they do. And I feel like, you know, if, if people really understand that, really understand how, uh, how I feel about their work and how others feel about their work and how appreciated they are, just imagine the positive impact that it has on them and then the positive impact they have on others. They're going to work every day knowing, hey, what I'm going to do today is really important and my leadership really appreciates it and so do others. And, you know, the people I work with today, I'm going to appreciate them, too, because, you know, we're working together and we really enjoy being here um, and we're doing good work. So that's kind of one of my, my big ambitions now is just, you know, a lot of positivity, a lot of appreciation for my team, because, quite frankly, it's a hardworking group that, that uh, I'm lucky to be a part of. Um, so, so that professionally right now is what's been really fun uh, and really engaging for me. Um, on a personal side, um, you know, we're talking, my kids are kind of starting to get to a, a, an age that they're older and a lot more self-reliant. So, you know, if you had asked me, you know, five, 10 years ago, what's your personal ambition would be just, just to fight the daily fight, you know, get through the trenches. It was, it was rough, right. With feeding and bath time and, you know, everything else. But, you know, my kids now are, well, Chase will be 10 this year and Kylie will be 20. So, you know, I've got four kids from 10 to 20. They're, very self-reliant. So um, now I'm really enjoying watching them succeed. Um, 
you know, seeing what opportunities they create for themselves, seeing how they do in school, how they do in sports. Um, and so that's what I've been really, you know, uh, excited to see from a, from a personal perspective. And then obviously my true, true ambition personally is to, to get to retire and enjoy the rest of my life with Nicole and see what our kids do with their lives. So, uh, that's kind of my, my personal true ambition walk. <laughs> What's well, awesome. Um, awesome. See, so yeah, again. I can do it. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, it'll it'll be great. It's, I love your kids as, as well, and Thank it's going to be great to see them all grow into whatever they're going to grow into. Same with with me with Johnny. You know, it's just like uh, as I go through and uh, talk to everybody on this podcast, you know, it's really just us trying to make a better world for them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm kind of finding out from everybody, and uh, it's going to be really exciting to see. What sport Chase goes into? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he loves every one of them. He does. <laughs> so I appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for doing this, and uh, I appreciate you guys too. So thanks for being here for the True Ambition Podcast. We'll see you next time. The True Ambition Podcast is brought to you by It Avalon. For more information and links to other episodes, please visit www.trueambition.org. Now. Go find your true ambition.